This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 4th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Government-run mass transit systems are facing more pressure than ever. Even in some of the densest urban areas, private ride-hailing services are providing competitive rates for even many daily commuters. How should federal, state, and local agencies respond? Randall O'Toole is author of the forthcoming Cato book, Romance of the Rails. We spoke this week. Data that I know that you are very alert to is uh, what fraction of a metropolitan area makes use of transit on you know generally a daily basis for uh, getting to and from work. Uh, where does that fraction stand today and where is it headed? Well, right now, about 5% of American commuters take transit to work. And that uh, sounds like it could be a lot, but uh, the the surveys ask, how do you usually get to work by transit? And it turns out 5% say they usually get to work by transit, but uh, in fact, they only take transit about 70% of the time. So really only a little over 3%, 3 to 4% use transit on any given day. And Almost all of those are in in New York City. Almost half of those are in New York City. So uh, outside of New York City, it's a very small percentage of people. Uh, in most American urban areas, it's less than 2%. So transit, if transit disappeared tomorrow, you would notice a big difference in New York. You might notice a small difference in Washington, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, and maybe Seattle. Everywhere else, uh, the most thing you would notice is there'd be a lot less congestion because you'd have a lot of empty buses off the road. So in New York City, uh, what's the population per square mile? Uh, there are parts of New York City that have well over 100,000 people per square mile. On average in the city, including Staten Island, it's only about 26,000 people per square mile. I say only. Nationwide, the average urban area population density is about 2,600 people per square mile. So New York City is 10 times denser than urban areas in the rest of the country. So is that what makes uh, transit uh, as uh, you know, a contribution to the economy uh, of Manhattan? Is that what makes it so powerful is just, just the density? It helps, but it turns out uh, if you compare densities of urban areas with transit ridership, there's only about a 40% correlation between the two. What really makes a big difference is having a big concentration of jobs downtown at the hub of a hub-and-spoke transit system. New York has 2 million jobs in downtown and midtown Manhattan, and that's at the hub of a huge commuter rail, subway, and bus transit system. Uh, and no other city comes close. Chicago has half a million jobs. A few other cities have about 300,000 jobs. Uh, Seattle has almost 300,000 jobs. Uh, most cities are like 60 to 80,000 jobs downtown. And there's a 90% correlation between downtown jobs and transit share of commuting. So uh, if you don't have a lot of jobs downtown, it doesn't matter whether you spend a billion dollars on light rail or you uh, put in commuter trains, or you double the number of buses, you're not going to get a lot of transit commuting, and you're not going to get a lot of transit ridership overall. All right. So what are the lessons for uh, the rest of the country when it comes to transit based on the, the, you know, the new data that, you know, with this sort of low baseline that sort of keeps chugging along of three to five percent of 
commuters making use of transit? Well, the, the real uh, new data is showing that not only is, do not very many commuters use transit, but transit ridership is declining. It's declining nationwide. It's been declining steadily for four years. And there's no reason to think that it's ever going to go back up again. In the past, transit ridership has been rescued by gas crises and things like that. But I don't expect another gas crisis. We, we get too much of our oil within the United States now and we're not subject to uh, Mideastern politics. And so uh, gas prices are going to stay fairly constant at around $3 a gallon, which means transit ridership is going to continue to fall. Uh, auto ownership is increasing. Uh, ride hailing is increasing. Uh, all the things that are inimical to transit, the jobs are continuing to move out into the suburbs. People are continuing to move out into the suburbs. There are far more suburb-to-suburb -suburb commuters than there are suburb-to-downtown commuters today. So there's no reason to think transit ridership is ever going to go up. So the real question is, why are we continuing to subsidize transit when it's a dying industry and uh, it provides really no economic, environmental, or social benefits. Uh, last year in Washington, D.C., and I guess continuing in Washington, D.C., there has, have been pretty significant problems with the uh, metro system. Uh, and at times, I would find myself uh, getting like an Uber uh, pool or a Lyft line or, or something like that in order to get to work. And the price in some cases, on sometimes and some days, when you know lots of people were pouring out of the station, realizing that the train was either going to be very late or uh, wasn't coming at all, the prices were often three dollars, sometimes four dollars, and it it seems like that has to be putting enormous pressure, even on these big metropolitan transit systems, because there there may well be uh, slightly more expensive, but very likely more dependable private alternatives. Well, there is. And the best data show that between 2016 and 2017, uh, Uber, Lyft, and other ride-hailing services gained more than 700 million riders. Transit ridership dropped by about 250 million. And surveys show that the people who are taking Uber and Lyft and other ride-hailing services, uh, about a third of them would otherwise have taken transit if ride-hailing didn't exist. So you do the math, and it turns out ride-hailing is, is responsible for 90% of the decline in transit ridership. And ride-hailing is growing faster. Uh, Waymo is already providing driverless ride-hailing services in the Phoenix area, and we're going to see driverless ride-hailing expand. Waymo has ordered 60,000 driverless, or what will be driverless, uh, Chrysler minivans and 30,000 driverless Jaguar uh, SUVs uh, to run in country in cities all over the country. Uh, Ford, General Motors, and Uber and Tesla all have their driverless programs. And so uh, that's going to be, to me, an existential threat, an extinction-level event for transit systems in most urban areas of the country. Not New York, maybe not Washington or Chicago, uh, but in most urban areas that are smaller than 5 million people. Uh, I don't see why we're going to need transit at all. And even before 
uh, driverless ride hailing becomes dominant. Uh, I don't see why we need to subsidize transit. We already have private companies like Ford and uh, other companies providing private transit services in competition with public agencies. Why do we need to subsidize it? Assume for the moment that there is a strong desire on the part of the public and uh, political decision makers that we want to make provisions for the very low income to have uh, an easier time getting to and from work. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to have a welfare program, uh, certainly one that allows people more autonomy in terms of moving, going from their homes to a workplace and, and running errands and that sort of thing is, is not, uh, not the worst use of those resources. So assume that that's the case. Does the government uh, or should the government transition from uh, subsidizing transit to simply providing direct subsidies to people who, on, on behalf of their transportation? Um, I would give you a qualified yes, but let me explain that uh, studies have shown that in an average urban America, urban area in America, you can reach more jobs in a 10-minute auto drive, 10 or 15-minute auto drive, than you can in a 60-minute transit trip. In fact, there's only one urban area in America that you can't reach more jobs in a 20-minute auto drive than a 60-minute transit trip, and that's New York. In New York, you have to go on a 30-minute auto drive to reach more jobs in a 60-minute transit trip. So the, the, the point is automobiles will help low-income people reach more jobs faster uh, and more effectively than better transit or, or more transit subsidies. So if you want to help low-income people, uh, there are a number of state programs called Ways to Work that help low-income people uh, acquire their first car or repair a car so that they can get to work and get a better job uh, with that car. That's the way to go about helping low-income people. The truth is transit today is a wealthy person's mode of transportation. The median income of transit riders is higher than the national average. The average income is, of, is much higher than the national average. And the fastest growing income class of transit riders is people who earn over $75,000 a year. Between 2010 and 2017, uh, that income class of transit commuters grew by 60%, whereas low-income transit commuters actually declined because more low-income people went out and bought cars and aren't dependent on transit anymore. I assume you don't expect, uh, as you do expect, the replacement of, of transit with uh, these private alternatives. I assume you don't expect these, the federal agencies, state agencies, city agencies that are providing this transit to simply give up and allow this to occur. No, but it's been my advice to uh, state legislators that are uh, state legislatures that are funding transit and, and uh, other transit uh, appropriators, whether city, county, or federal, uh, that it's time to start thinking about winding down this program. Uh, I don't see, except in New York and maybe a couple other cities, that there's going to be any need for public transit in the year 2030, except as zombie agencies that are fulfilling their pension and health care obligations and uh, uh, paying back the debts that they incurred building foolish rail transit projects. So it's time to wind it down. It's time to get to the point where we don't 
uh, aren't building up these debts anymore and are ready to go on to the next uh, transportation technology. Are there still cities that are pondering, banging around the idea of uh, installing light rail? Uh, the Congress has continued to fund what's called New Starts, which is funding rail projects. Uh, they'll also fund bus projects, but it has to be infrastructure projects. And the fund is set up so that the, you get more money if you spend more money. So cities all over the country, including Durham, North Carolina, and San Antonio, and uh, uh, Portland, and you know all, all kinds of cities are talking about uh, infrastructure heavy transit projects that they want to build, even though ridership in those cities tends to be declining and sometimes is declining rather rapidly. And there's no evidence that cities that have built new rail lines have, uh, are exempt from that. Charlotte, for example, uh, is one of the biggest, fastest declining transit systems in the country, and yet they have two new light rail lines and hardly anybody's riding them. Randall O'Toole is author of the forthcoming Cato book, Romance of the Rails, available soon at Cato.org and online booksellers. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.